0: Yes, number 23258, I see you. You're about 20 west of Muskogee, State Altitude. I'm um, at
1: 3,500
0: feet. I'm trying to climb out of these clouds. I got in them, got turned around, tried to turn back, and I'm having a hard time keeping That's my with them. Alright, number 23258, Roger. Um, I don't have any traffic in the area. If you're able to just maintain a heading and slowly climb, uh, you should be okay. At 3,500, you're you're above the MIA, so if you're able to just kind of get your, wing, your wings level and slowly climb, we can get you pointed in the right direction.
2: Those were the voices of Fort Worth Center air traffic controller Randy Wilkins and the pilot of a Cessna 150 trapped in the clouds above east-central Oklahoma. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the NACA podcast. I'm your host, Doug Church, and I'm the Deputy Director of Public Affairs at the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. Today we have the story of a remarkable flight assist in the Southwest region. It's one of two winning events from the region in our 2020 Archie League Medal of Safety Award program. The winners will be honored on August the 11th at the NACA convention in Houston. Randy Wilkins has worked enough general aviation traffic in his 13 years at Fort Worth Center to know that while he and his colleagues aim to provide the best support they can and the most information possible to pilots who encounter difficulty, Ultimately, it's up to the pilot to finish off a safe landing. But Wilkins is passionate about training and developing his base of knowledge in as many different ways as he can to be prepared for challenging situations. That includes researching air safety investigations in his spare time, looking at how past NACA Archie League Medal of Safety award-winning controllers handled situations, watching YouTube instructional videos of VFR pilots encountering IFR conditions, and learning about the dangers of pilot vertigo in instrument meteorological conditions. That was the situation that this Cessna 150 pilot faced in Wilkins airspace as he flew in solid IFR conditions near the boundary of Kansas City center airspace between Oklahoma City approach and Tulsa approach. He was lost, definitely under stress, and sought help through the guard radio frequency. He ended up talking to a Southwest Airlines pilot who was trying to figure out where he was. Soon he was talking to Randy, who along with fellow Fort Worth Center controller Chris Clavin, helped the pilot out of a difficult situation. How'd they do it? Well, I had the opportunity to talk with both controllers, and here's their story. Let me start by asking you both uh, some of your background, how you got into air traffic control and your, your experience. Uh, we we'll to start with Randy. you 13 years now at Fort Worth Center, is that correct?
0: Yep, uh, Fort Fort Worth Center for 13 years. It was my first um, facility. I'm originally from Indiana, grew up there, went to Purdue, graduated. I moved to Indianapolis for a couple of years, and then got hired almost immediately out of college and then uh, straight to Fort Worth.
2: How did you get into uh, the field? What interested you to, to choose this as a career?
0: Well, originally, I went for engineering, and I decided that wasn't for me. And then I went back to school after a couple of years out, and then But I wanted to be a pilot, but I didn't have the money to do that. So that's how I found out about air traffic control, because as you know, most of us don't really know about it until we either have a family member that does it or we hear about it somehow. So that's how I heard about it, and I did the CTI program there at Purdue, and here I am.
2: Chris, this is you're coming up on your three-year anniversary uh, at ZFW, is that correct? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think the first week of June will be my three-year anniversary here.
2: How's it going for you so far? This is obviously you know, with the pandemic uh, uh, following this event in October of 2019. A pretty eventful start to your career, I suspect.
1: Yeah, it's put a, it did put a hold on training for a while. So training is still going on. Uh, that's going well, going to still progressing with that and uh, hoping to hopefully take care of that sometime at the end of this year or early next year.
2: Where are you from originally? And how did you find air traffic control uh, with your career?
1: I'm from Long Island. Before uh, before I started with the FAA, I had been working at JFK Airport um, with the Air Train. Nothing to do with airplanes, but I was running the, uh, by the time I left, I was the supervisor in the operations center for the Air Train at JFK. And then uh, before I got huh. into this.
2: Very interesting. That's great. How did you like that job? Uh, it was great. It was,
1: uh, I would say, as stressful, but the pay wasn't as good, which made the option to get
2: out of there pretty easy. <laughs> yeah i imagine so are, are either of you pilots yourselves no no you sure could have fooled me on that atc tape i'll tell you what i just uh, got done listening to it for a second time here a few minutes ago to refresh myself before the interview and uh um what an amazing ordeal it it seemed to take about a half an hour from start to finish does that, that seem about right
0: yeah it felt like 20 years but i think half an hour is probably about right
2: had either of you had a emergency situation similar to this one, or or any other kind of an emergency situation in your careers thus far?
0: Uh, I have not dealt with one personally. I've I've watched many Archie League award banquets before, and uh, honestly, I think they're a great teaching tool to go back and and show people how uh, how different controllers handle different situations. So really, that um, was what I had to go back on. As far as, you know, as people getting stuck in a bad situation like that, you know, they they, they kind of teach VFR and IFR conditions in the in the centers and stuff, but it's not really lifelike, I guess. I don't know. It, it's not like listening to somebody actually go through it uh, and, and watching that replay. So I think that's probably what I thought of the most when I thought about what would I do in these situations, right? Cause, you know, you watch a video and be like, well, what would I do? Would I know to say that? Would I know to think about this? um and those sort of things so I, I really um fall back on those those replays and I, I think replays are underused on 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 a general basis but that's a another topic for another day
2: set the scene for us uh as far as at the center in your particular area and airspace uh what is the specific airspace that you work and uh tell us about what the the flight conditions were like uh on this particular day which obviously was before the pandemic so you were at full maximum uh Operational status as far as traffic volume and, and and normal operations. I suspect, right?
1: Go ahead, Chris. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I remember it was, it was around the time I was going home that day, and luckily traffic wasn't too bad. But the area where we were working in uh, in Oklahoma, so it borders Tulsa approach, uh, Oklahoma City approach to the west, and uh, Razorback approach to the east. And we also are talking to Kansas City Center on the north side and Memphis Center on the east side. And then uh, to the south, that is our other uh, in-house sectors that we're working right next to. So uh, that day when the uh, gentleman got into the IFR conditions, he was pretty much on the near the boundary of uh, Kansas City Center and uh, between Oklahoma City approach and Tulsa approach. So that's who I was in most communications with as the assistant, trying to get updated weather there to see how to best go about the situation.
2: Is that an area where it it, it would be un, unusual for you to work a general aviation aircraft at that altitude? I'm assuming he was about four or 5,000 feet, or is it somewhat routine and not out of the ordinary?
1: Uh, if the weather's good, that that's uh, extremely routine. For example, a day like yesterday when I was working, Maybe in our in one area, the one airspace there, talking to uh, up to at one point there was about eight of them in the general aviation and just in our one area at one time. So it is pretty pretty common.
2: So it, the weather conditions on this particular day, we we had uh, a little bit of everything and very little of it was good. I suspect. So can you kind of paint that picture of what uh, what this pilot was facing, where he was at? Um, in the area south of uh, Tulsa and west of Muskogee?
0: Yeah, so it was solid IFR, um, pretty much. There wasn't wet any uh, precip where he was. There was precip in the sector. It was mainly uh, south of Tulsa and then extending to the east. So like in the replay here, people deviate and stuff, but there was no precip around him. And I think the, he reported the bases about 4,500 feet to 4,000. I don't know um, what kind of a weather briefing he had or what he had heard or if it had not been accurate uh for the area i don't remember what was forecasted but he was it was pretty much solid ifr from east of tulsa to oklahoma city um and it, it did improve after oklahoma city so i'm not sure yeah, i don't even know where he ended up with where he was going or you know if he was coming or going or what what had happened so i'm assuming he was maybe trying to get to oak city or tulsa and got lost or something somewhere through there because he was running low on fuel but it's, as far as the vfr pilot goes it wasn't ideal that's for sure
2: so so it, we really don't even know at this point where he was going but but as you s- suspected it um, was likely oklahoma city to the west i think so do we know where he took off from
0: no nope. i have not i have not heard uh from this person so maybe one day
2: yeah um and so there was there's a quite a bit of options you 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 both gave him uh who talked to him first it, it,
0: he talked to a southwest pilot on guard at first and that's how we could hear we we actually didn't have guard for a lot until the last couple of years i think like three or four years ago they finally put it in and we could we heard some chirping on the speaker and then about the time i went to hit guard Tulsa approached, called me and said hey do you hear that uh and then so while this is going on the pilot is talking to a southwest jet that's trying to figure out where he is you know just because he he's, he's lost obviously under stress and he's um, trying to get some help. So,
2: would this have even uh, reached your level had he had, had guard not been installed at the center, or would you have still known this was a situation to handle because of the emergency uh, in- indicator coming up on the data block?
0: No, he was not squawking emergency until I don't remember if he ever did or not, but I mean, obviously, it'll show up either I told him to or the Southwest pilot told to, but I, I can't remember. Maybe I told him to squawk emergency and then we could find and figure out where he was. Um, but yeah. Once, once he did that, then would have been fine. But initially, we were on guard. We would have had to ra- relay through a pilot, or you know, who knows where the southwest pilot was. I'm not sure what that situation was. I never ended up figuring out where he was. That, they, but luckily, somebody was at least talking to him. That could have probably got him in contact with us.
2: Do you recall four years ago when this uh, when, when guard was uh, was was added into uh, into your frequencies and and the, how that came about and and. and, and truly uh, a, a very noteworthy event i I suspect
0: yeah it, at first it was um annoying because nobody knew what to do with it right because there's all you know there's a lot of chatter on guard people goofing off and and then people trying to find frequencies and stuff but it was i mean for the most part it's absolutely helpful especially in situations like this the only one i've ever seen or witnessed um firsthand i know there's been other ones in the years since it's been installed but it, 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 once you once you learn how to handle it, it's been. It's, I, I think it's absolutely imperative to have it to have access to you know a quick overall frequency for everybody. We, I don't know how many Nordos we've we've found just punching the guard and pulling them up. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's very important and very useful.
2: Outstanding. Well, then take us through for our listeners here the the two of you um, the sequence of events that occurred. Um, what you the interaction with the with the pilots, Um We're talking about a Cessna 150. This event had so many twists and turns. So I think it's best if I just let the two of you kind of take me through exactly how it played out in terms of uh, getting him pointed in the right direction, getting him out of out of the clouds. Um, you know, take us through uh, the sequence of events.
0: Sure. So initially, I was there by myself because it was Mac Low, and it's usually the slowest sector in the room. So it's kind of like the Either the camp out or punishment sector, however you want to look at that. But I was by myself, just working, like I said earlier, some deviations. And then we heard him talking. Tall called, said, Hey, you hear that? Yeah. And then, so I pulled up guard and had him, I'm pretty sure I had him squawk emergency and then got him on frequency. And then I asked him what was going on. He said he was having trouble holding altitude, which in hindsight, Monday morning quarterback, and I never did um, think to ask him about carburetor ice. So I don't know if he figured that out on his own later and was able to kind of, because as you go through the replay, either he learns how to fly in the clouds, he's teaching himself as he's going, so I think he's definitely doing a lot of that. um, Or he figures out that he's not climbing because of it, so I don't know if he ever turned it on or not, but like that was one of the things I noticed, like if I wish I would have said that to this dude, because when you hear I don't have the power to climb, or this thing's not climbing very well, it seems like that might be an issue, especially going in and out of uh, moisture when he's not used to that, right? So that was one thing um, That I thought, but then initially he's he's talking pretty well. You can tell he's frustrated, and then once you see him, he's he's just flying in circles, right? Like I'm I'm trying to talk him into just keeping the wings level, you know, use his instruments as much as he can, trying to figure out where he's trying to go, and then that's when we learn like he's running low on gas, and then I think somewhere at, at this point Chris comes in, and that we we start working on where can we send this guy that's at least marginally. VFR, so that's kind of the first third, I guess.
2: Chris, you want to take it from there?
1: Uh, yeah, sure, I wasn't, like Randy said, I wasn't initially working with him, and it was actually towards the end of my day, I was working another sector called called uh, Ardmore uh, on the D side, and then Christ. I was initially getting up to uh, take my final break for the day and eventually head home, but then I heard uh, all the chatter on guard where, where obviously we were all able to hear that in the area, and we knew something was up and uh, then we, when we realized where he was in Randy's airspace and I just decided to plug in and start working with him. And uh, then once we trying to, while he's dealing with talking to the pilot, I was just trying to get updated, uh, the most up to date weather information if I could between uh, Stillwater Low at Kansas City Center and uh, Oak City approach and Tulsa approach to see if they had any uh, guys going BFR or any of the airports around there. And we were just trying to get updates to that. And I was trying to make sure that Randy didn't have to do any coordination or he he was just able to focus on that. And that was pretty much my job to make sure he can focus on the pilot and I'll take care of all the
2: other stuff. What were the airports around him and, and what were the weather conditions?
1: Uh, the only
2: good report
1: I got was, uh, as Randy said, uh, more to the uh, west side of Oklahoma City approach and uh based on the gentleman's fuel situation it didn't look like that was a valid option so we kept working uh we kept working the problem and eventually got him pointed to an area where he was able to break out i think
2: do you recall exactly where he broke out uh, close to chandler with his eventual destination
0: well i I don't think he ever broke out. I think he I think he flew through the clouds like at one point we had we we said, like, we we need to pick and do this right because you're running on gas and we're just going to have to do it. Um, So he's like, I'm he said, that's when he said, I'm going to go to Chandler. And I'm like, all right, man. Well, that's and, and I said, you know, focus on your instruments. Don't look out the window type thing. Trying just trying to give him some kind of a scan to think about for the three or four minutes that he's going to be IMC trying to get underneath the clouds so but yeah I, I, I'm I'm pretty confident he never broke out well I mean he broke out eventually but he was definitely IMC for a while on his way down
2: so Chandler was at 900 feet visibility is that correct
0: yeah I think so I think everything was uh in that vicinity was at 900-ish feet you know east of that was worse and then west got better but he it seemed like he did not have the gas to go much further west so that's when you know he he made that decision to, to head in
2: so so you both really in essence gave him a a flight lesson and in instrument flight rules for lack of a better term right i mean yeah. somebody that had no experience in doing that and, and asking him or tell or instructing him not to look out the window
0: i've heard and that and that was one of the the archie league things like i've heard that i've heard people say that the vertigo and and you know and if you if you do any research and like i can't remember the name of i know this is a little off topic but there's these i get i go into youtube world and there's uh aircraft safety investigations or asi or something like that and they have like uh they go over accidents and incidents and stuff and then and and they talk about vertigo and imc and all that stuff and so well i was trying to think of like well what would i if that was me what would i want to know what would i want somebody to say to me before i did this and i was like well the the worst thing that you always hear about is people getting disoriented and flipped upside down and you know that's we all know that's not very the likeliness of getting disoriented in clouds if you're not used to it is pretty high so what can i do to avoid that right and so i'm like well don't look out the window just concentrate on the instruments and if and keep your airspeed up and you're out to right and your wings level I mean you're, you're gonna be okay okay I mean you're more likely to you're gonna have a better chance of you know making it through that so that that's what I was that was my thought process what can I say to this dude to help him I can't there's not much else like I can do he's got to do it on his own and then over, over the course of the the emergency you can see him I'm kind of giving him heading updates and he's like, I'm trying, but, but you, you can kind of see him going through the process of learning how to fly either, either on his instruments or however he was doing it, but you could see him getting better and better at taking control of his aircraft. So I think that, that might've saved his life. Actually the, the 10 minutes he had to get used to flying in a manner like that, rather than just like, oh, I'm, you know, like I just, I got to go through the clouds now and get down and you know, so that's, uh, that's how it looked to me.
2: That's fascinating. So it's things that you learned just by doing your own research and putting yourself in the situation of what, what this could look like uh, if it ever transpired and, and sure enough it, it did and you and Chris are there to provide the assistance needed to get him out of it. Um, so that must have filled you with a lot of confidence that you're you're talking to him and on a, certainly on a minute by minute basis here. Things continue to get better and better and brighter. Was there a point though that that you felt like, boy, he's he's really got a, a, a difficult situation here? Was it more the fuel that was the issue, or was it more his inexperience, or was it a combination of both?
0: I think that it, it was more the fuel issue because um, he seemed to be flying. oak okay, you know, like I said, he seemed to be flying okay after that first. 15 minutes where he was just flying in circles and like he was way you know he's way off you know he's he's left and right and I can't always tell what his altitude is so I don't know how he's doing on that luckily um he was able to either use the clouds as a as a base you know because if he's flying right at the tops so, you know maybe he's got some kind of a horizon that he can use I'm not sure how he did that but it didn't seem like altitude was his problem it was really just kind of getting pointed in the right direction so um yeah like uh, so after that it's it was fuel for me I mean that, that you know what can we get this guy to an airport where he has a, a more space to the ground to, to break out how much time is that where we're we gonna go and then and that's unfortunately that window was not very large and then with him zigzagging back and forth it was eating up some of that time
1: and with a quarter
2: tank of gas left that was good for about 40 to 45 minutes he said on frequency so you knew in your mind that the clock's ticking and uh, and there was really no time to waste there, of course. Um, at what point did you lose the radio communications? What general uh, the vicinity and, and altitude was he at where you then had to use two Papa Bravo as the go-between at the very end there?
0: Um, it, it, it's, I don't remember exactly when, but it, it, it's basically somewhere after he started down through the clouds because we we lose rate that's not really close to a transmitter so we lose them out of twenty five hundred to three thousand and so I didn't want to talk to him while he was descending you know IMC and I think at that I can't remember exactly how that went it's been a long time um, at some point we I put him on the advisory frequency over there or maybe I relayed to Papa Bravo to to, to go through it but yeah anything below three to four thousand of course I think the airport's at nine hundred feet. We're going to lose them, so there was a good portion of that descent to IMC where we weren't talking to him. At least directly.
2: What is that like at that point when you're just uh, you've done all you can do and now the rest is up to him and waiting for that notification from flight service that he's on the ground? What are are those moments like in, in your mind?
0: Go
1: ahead, Chris.
2: Well. Obviously.
1: You don't want to think the worst, but there's other stuff still going on in the sector that we had to take care of. And even though it was slow, you still got other things you need to take care of. But yeah, that it felt like it felt like 20 years before we finally got the update that he was on the ground. And because uh, we get we get the briefings where we know the numbers, of a major airline gets into a, a problem where worst case it's usually minor in, minor injuries, but the We've all heard the BFR and IFR conditions, and they gave us the numbers how that usually doesn't go well. And uh, so, you, yeah, it does go through the back of your mind, but you still have other work to do, so you have to keep doing it, and then uh, hope for the best.
2: And then, of course, the the emotions turn to elation and relief. I suspect uh, when when you get word that he's on the ground safely, is that right?
0: Yeah, I asked to get relieved immediately after that was over because I was not in any shape to keep working. That's for sure. I was I was tore up after that because I was. I was scared for the guy, i- you know, it was I know it wasn't anything we did, but um, yeah, I, I I was shook up um, to the point where I took a pretty long break after that and had to to gather myself because it it was stressful, and that's just how that stuff. Some people handle that really well, and they can just keep on going and keep on going. I needed a break for sure.
2: Is there any part of the uh, the story here that I, I, I didn't ask about that you, uh, as you recall, uh, how it went down? Um, that uh, you'd want to mention here and make sure we cover?
0: no i I don't think so i think I think that pretty much sums it up I don't you know I think we just try to get in the best direction that we can, the most information that we can, and then ultimately it's up to him, just like all these situations it's like it's ultimately up to the pilot to to finish off the the safe landing, so I'm elated that it worked out and I'm 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 just happy for him, really,
2: so. What does it mean to each of you to be uh, recognized now as a, as an Archie League Award winner? Uh, Chris, you want to go first?
1: Uh, sure, yeah, after seeing. Previous years, winners and uh, looking at all those events, it's, uh, it's definitely an honor. I, I will be honest saying that as the assistant, I don't feel that I deserve nearly as much credit as Randy does or any of these other uh, people that were actually talking to the pilot, but uh, I'm glad I was able to help and do anything I could. And I just, uh, I'm very honored to be part of it.
2: Thank you, Randy.
0: Yeah, for me, it's like one of those where you see all these winners in the past, you're like, wow, that's so amazing. Like, how did they do that? You know, like the, like the JetBlue save where the guy was lined up to land on the taxiway and like how many people did that dude saved by noticing and lined up on the wrong one way. So, I mean, there's all kinds of good ones, you know, like lost F-16s and all this. Um, to be categories categorized like that is is an honor and i hope i really hope that people can take it and learn something from it because that's really what this is all about it's, it's about honoring or you know giving gratitude to the to controllers that did such a good do- job um but i try to use it as a training tool and say hey this is what happened here's what you can do if you get in this situation so uh, that that's what i really hope comes out of it for me
2: extremely uh, valuable and important advice then to- I thank you both for your time and, uh, and taking us through this extraordinary event. And congratulations to both of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the NACA podcast. Please leave a review and a rating if you liked this podcast, wherever you're listening to us. We always appreciate your feedback. I look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Take care.